Hey, if, um, so if you're feeling a little down this morning, or when you show up on a Sunday morning, you're just like a little bit like, man, I just need, the, I need a little extra, I just need a little extra, I just want to say that this area right over here is the, like the cheerleader section for Jesus right over here, so it only goes to the second, third row, sorry, sorry, Eric, you always get left out. You're always in the... Uh, I love it. I love the enthusiasm when we worship Jesus. And you know, I just want to say that it's okay for you to show up and for, for some of us to sit in the back and just be still and be quiet. Because the Bible says to be still, right? And to know that he is God. And sometimes there's moments where we just need to be still. But then the Bible also says, shout out to the Lord. You know, clap your hands. I'm going to say, yeah, yes, yes. The Bible even says it's okay to get jiggy with it, too, right? And um, <laughs> that's a stretch for me. I went to the Toby Mac concert the other night, and you kind of, I was kind of swaying back and forth, the white man sway, you know. I was, uh, that's about as far as it got. Um, but hey, the, my Baptist roots showed up. I never took, I always had one foot on the ground. Okay, because if you start jumping, that, that's the cat's charismatic, right? That's, no, I love it. I love it. So um, I just want to say that when we gather in worship, um, just come as you are, and Jesus will meet you where you're at. If you're excited about Jesus, then would you clap? I mean, not, I'm, yeah. <laughs> during, during worship, you know. It's okay to hoot and holler a little bit um, for Jesus. I mean, I, I'm a sports, huge sports fan, and I yell and scream. I've lost my voice at sporting events. I've gone, yeah, at home. I've gone, <laughs> which is true. Um, I've gone to games where my ears ring for two days because of the loudness of a stadium, and Jesus is much more worthy. I mean, I love football, and I like Russell Wilson, but Jesus is a lot more worthy than the Seahawks. He's a lot more worthy than anything else that we can lift our voices to. So church should be loud, I think, at times. But I also think the church should be um, silent still at times. Ruslan, thank you for thank you for praying this morning. I got a call on Thursday morning, a text actually, um, from Pastor Eugene. So you know that Word of Life was a church that used our building for over five years. They're a Ukrainian congregation. They combined with another church and have moved on, but then now they have a church plant coming out of there, an English-speaking Ukrainian church plant that uses our building throughout the month. And they texted me that morning, Thursday, and said, can we use, your, can we use the church to pray? And I was like, well, of course. We're not going to say no to that. And then he was so thankful, and he says, our hearts are bleeding um, they have friends and family, and then things are happening, and, um, and you, you don't always get the correct news, and so it's, it's been a really difficult time for them, so I just encourage us not to leave this place, um, when you leave this place, I should say, uh, to continue to pray for God's peace, and um, for both sides, for both sides. Well, church... What was said that would not happen has actually happened. 
we are wrapping up the book of John today. I was told it was going to take me till 2025, and I don't even know if the world will be here in 2025, and honestly, Jesus can come back right now. That would be awesome. Um, yeah. But we are going to be in John chapter 21 uh, this morning. It's funny because I have my bookmark and I open my Bible and it's, I saw the book of Acts. I was like, well, wait a minute. I'm not preaching out of Acts again. And I was like, oh, John's right there. Okay. So we're, yeah, we're in John chapter 21 this morning. Um, it is a wrap. We've spent a whole year. We started 2021, uh, January 7th. Um, we open up the introduction to the book of John. Hey, as you're turning into your Bibles, I just happened to look up and see my buddy Larry Sefervich sitting over here. And uh, Judy's back doing quilting back in the south. But they had a house fire just recently and um, pretty much ruined. And so they're going to be out of the house for about seven to nine months. And um, just, you know, turn to my Bible and have to see him there and, I'd much rather pray for one another than sometimes, you know. So we're going to take a moment. Can we just stop for a moment and pray for their family? And uh, you will hear there will be things that we need to come together as a church and help with when they're allowed to get back into the house, <laughs> you know. But we want to help. We want. I know if that happened to me, I would call out to God for rescue, and God will use us as rescue. So Jesus, we just pray for Larry and Judy right now, and don't always understand, God, why things like that happen. But we know that for all things work together for good for those who are called according to your purpose, who love you. And I know they love you. I know they're faithful to you. I know they serve you. And so, Lord, we just pray that all things will work together for good. Lord, that you would just make every, every detail work out with the insurance companies, with contractors, with volunteers, with what's needed, God, that you would replace what has been lost, and not just physically, physical things, stuff, but Lord, even emotional things. I thank you that you're way bigger than all our problems, <laughs> and that you're with us. I thank you for being with us, in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. John chapter 21. You know, we've spent a year in this book, and it's, it's been a weird year still. Tomorrow will still be weird. Um, but I believe it's exactly what we've needed to hear. We need to know who our Savior is, that he's God. But he is also a shepherd. And he, Jesus even told those of us that follow him that were his friends. Joe can't quite get my head around that one, but I'm thankful for it. And so John wraps up his, his gospel. <laughs> I just love how he does it. We're going to read verse 24. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know this testimony is true. This is the disciple who testifies to this book, the 21 chapters. This is the disciple, the self-proclaimed disciple that Jesus loved. 
So when we started back in January, we talked about the disciple who Jesus loved. And at first, we can read that and say, wow, John, you really thought a lot about yourself, didn't you? It's almost like it's a a proud statement. I am the disciple that Jesus loved. But I don't believe that's John's heart, because if you read his Gospels, if you read the small books that John wrote, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, that's not his heartbeat. I believe when he says, I am the disciple that Jesus loved, it's a humble statement. Because Jesus, how could you love me? How can you love a man like me, is what John was saying. And so he is reminding himself, Jesus loves me. That's a word for us today, church. It's not a proud statement. It's not something from our side of it. But it's a humility statement. It's a humble statement saying, Jesus, you love me. You care for me. You are with me. So John writes this down and says, this testimony is true. And what he's saying by that is that I am an eyewitness to what has happened. These stories that I've written down, I have seen them with my own eyes. And so they are true. And then I love how he, the last verse of his book, Jesus did, many, verse 25, Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have enough room for the books that would be written. Imagine that. I mean, John just highlighted a few of the stories. There's another translation that says Jesus did countless things. Couldn't even name them. So imagine, so these are just some of the highlights. So imagine living life with Jesus for three years. Every word that comes out of his mouth. Every interaction with a human being, if that was all written down, because every single one of those were miraculous. This is the Son of God who came from heaven to earth. Everything he did on earth was miraculous. When he bought an apple at the market, that was miraculous. And what John is saying is that Jesus is way bigger than we can even imagine. Everything he did, the way he talked, the way he reacted with people, the way he cared for people, it's challenging. Just breezing through the book of John this week and seeing the stories again, it's challenging because I don't always do this. I don't always speak lovingly towards people. I don't always care for people. I try, but I don't always. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take a look back just briefly at some of the moments that Jesus uh, went through. So I broke it down in four different areas. The areas where Jesus was tender, the areas where Jesus was zealous, the compassionate moments, and the eternal moments of Jesus. So now we're going to start off with the first one, uh, the tender moments of Jesus. And, and really, you could do all of them, in, you know, but I'm just, I separated them out just a little bit. First one, water into wine. Jesus' first recorded miracle 
he turned water into wine. Why was that tender? Why was that a tender moment of Jesus? For me, as I read it, it's just a tender moment between Jesus and his mom. You know, the Bible says that we are to honor our parents. And it's the only commandment that, that has a little bonus to it. And the bonus is this, because it will go well with you for the rest of your life if you honor your moms and dads. I know that sometimes that's a tough one, because maybe our moms and dads, dads haven't honored us. That's not what the Lord is telling us. He's putting it on us. You honor your moms and your dads. And if you still have moms and dads with you, you should cherish those moms and dads, because they won't always be with us. Mine has been, my dad has been gone for almost 10 years. Hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah. So honor our moms and our dads. It will go well with us. So Jesus honors his mom, but because what happens is they're just showing up at a wedding party. And one of the biggest things in that culture is if you ran out of something, if you were hosting an event and you ran out of something, it was shameful. It was, well, it was embarrassing first, but then it was like shameful. And then it, from there on out, you were shamed in the community. They run out of wine, and Jesus' mom finds out, and she just walks up to Jesus, hey, they're out of wine. And Jesus' answer is classic. Like, well, some of the translation says woman. I love that response, woman. But I'll just change that a little bit. Mom, mom, why are you involving me in this? It's not my time yet. And the classic mom response is not to respond to the whining son. I mean, Jesus wasn't whining. Thank you, Dana, for getting that. Okay. Um, he was whining, actually. He was going to whine, I should say. Uh, the classic response from mom is this. She doesn't even respond to Jesus' response. She just turns to the servants and says, just do whatever he says. And then she walks off. And then so Jesus was like, all right, just go fill those pots full of water. And, and, you know, and we find out that it was the best wine. That's a tender moment because Jesus was caring not only for his mom, but the reputation of those who were hosting that party. Nobody knew about it except for a select few. That's a tender moment. Probably one of the more tender moments is when Jesus the Son of God, the living God who left heaven to come down to planet Earth, humbled himself. Less than 24 hours before he was going to be put to death, and he washed his disciples' feet. They showed up. It was kind of a hurried time to put together dinner. The disciples were supposed to put that together. They forgot about the servant who was supposed to clean them up as they walked in. That was tradition. You walked in, and you had a servant kind of clean you up. They didn't have nice asphalt roads back then. It was dirt, mud, and you were wearing sandals. It wasn't a pretty sight. It wasn't a good job. It was one of the lowest jobs on the totem pole, actually, right? And so what happened was no, nothing, that they, they ate. Nobody stepped up to fill that spot. So Jesus, that's a tender moment when he got down and 
washed his disciples' feet. Turn into your Bibles to John chapter 14. We are going to bounce around in the book of John a little bit this morning. John 14. Another tender moment. My tender moments are fleeting, so I'm going to have to jump through these real quick, but we're just going to hit a few of them. Starting in verse 1, John chapter 14. The disciples are really, they're kind of, cat, just right after Jesus washed their feet, they've, Jesus has been telling them that he's leaving, that he's, he's going. They're a little confused. They are worried about their future. Anybody else think, don't raise your hand, but anybody else kind of worry sometimes about their future? Yeah. Well, so, so are they, and this is Jesus' response. This is a tender moment between him and his disciples. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God and believe in me also. My Father's house has many rooms. If there were not so, I would have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. That is a tender moment. Jesus sees that they're struggling with the news that he's been sharing with, what they've been taking in, and he just reminds them, do not let your hearts be troubled. He sees the need, and he meets that need. And then he goes on down into, if you look at verse 15, right after that, then he promises them that, hey, I'm leaving and going, but, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he is neither, they neither see him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be with you. And then dropping down to verse 25. And all of this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That is a great tender moment with his disciples. Jesus tells them exactly what they need to hear. And see, I trust the Lord that, that he will tell you exactly what you need to hear when you need to hear it. But we have, to be, we have to be there, right? We have to be in his presence. We have to be leaning in. We need to be pushing in. Uh, we need to be listening in for his voice. And he says he's faithful, and he will speak and give us exactly what we need. Promise of the Holy Spirit. Those are some tender moments. How about some zealous moments? Zealous moments. Do you know what zealous means? It's really just passionate Activity, passion, like I'm, ooh, I'm zealous. <laughs> I'm devoted. I'm so devoted. I'll do whatever it takes. That's being zealous. Usually, zeal is kind of treated almost as a negative. There's a whole group of people called the zealots, and they were the rebels. They're the kind of the bad guys. They kind of had looked at the law and interpreted it their own way, and then if you didn't agree with them, they weren't very nice. But zeal itself, the Bible says that 
zeal for the house of God consumed him, Jesus. And so he clears the temple right out of the gate. You know, Jesus cleared the temple twice. It's not mentioned in the the other gospels the first time. But then the second time Jesus cleansed the temple, the week of Passion Week, John doesn't mention it, but the other gospels mention it. So Jesus actually cleared the temple twice at the very beginning of his ministry and then at the very end of his ministry on planet Earth. And Jesus goes in and clears the temple. Now that was a serious moment. And some of us and some people have said, well, it looks like Jesus was angry there. Because it says he fashioned, not a fancy t-shirt, no, he fashioned a whip. He turned over tables, he drove people out, he scattered the cattle and sheep and doves and money and all that stuff. It looked like he was angry. Can we actually be angry and not sin? I'd say most of us can't. (laughs) I've very rarely seen it. But biblically, yes, you can. I would say this topic that, we, that Ruslan came up and prayed for this morning, war, we can be righteously angry about war and not sin, but it should drive us to our knees to pray. We can be angry with, it's not right that we're killing one another. That just doesn't make any sense. But it is a spiritual battle. We need to pray. If that battle is going to be broken, it's going to be broken through prayer. So can we be angry? Yeah, the Bible says that we can. In Ephesians chapter 4, we're not going to read it this morning, but Ephesians chapter 4 says, in your anger, do not sin. And don't let the sun go down on your anger. And so, because when that happens, when you go to bed angry, you have the best night's sleep ever, don't you? Usually not. And you don't wake up very happy either. Right? Because what happens, you've given the devil a foothold into your life, a place for him to step. And I don't know about you, but I want to remove as many steps for the enemy as possible, right? And so anger is just one of them. So don't go to bed angry. If you have to stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning with your spouse and talk it out, then talk it out. Don't go to bed angry because you're just giving him a foothold. You're giving him a whole bunch of footholds if, anyways. That'll preach. <laughs> Turn to John chapter 15. Should be like one page over. Zealous moment. Jesus is pretty zealous here. It's not the, really the passage of the year, starting in verse 18. This isn't the greatest way to convert followers, right? The world hates you. Keep in mind that it hated me first. <laughs> yeah. Verse 19, he says, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. They persecuted me, and they will also persecute you. And he says, if they obey my teaching, though, they will also obey yours. That's a zealous moment, because Jesus is just saying, hey, You want to be dedicated? You want to be all in with me? There are going to be be people that don't like you. In fact, they will fight against you. And not just spiritually fight against you, but physically come against you. 
And we see that. Read the book of Acts. We see that as, as the church was beginning, there was much persecution, much persecution for those who followed Jesus. That didn't deter them at all, though. It fired them up. Because they are experiencing the presence of God in their life. And nothing that this world could bring our way ever can cover what Jesus is doing in us, ever. So much better than what he's doing. Jesus stands before Pilate, another zealous moment, and they talk truth. And Jesus said, those who are on the side of truth, you know, when he's talking truth, and Pilate makes that proclamation, what is truth? And then Jack Nicholson says, you can't handle the truth. No, okay, that's... <laughs> Just seeing if you're paying attention. Okay. Jack Nicholson is not in the Bible. Okay. He's old enough to be, but he's not in the Bible. Okay, Just... okay anyways. Zealous moments. I mean, Jesus was passionate about his calling. Jesus was passionate about why he was here. But also, Jesus was compassionate for his people. That's why he came. I think when, the, when I just look through the Gospel of John, when Jesus sits down with the teacher of Israel, I mean, the guy like in charge of leading Israel spiritually, a guy named Nicodemus, Jesus sits down and has a personal conversation with him. And that's where we get probably the most famous Bible verse that's out there. Because Nicodemus is not quite grasping this whole concept of that God loves us. And Jesus said, you know, God loves us so much that he sent me, his son. as a sacrifice, that he will die for sin. And whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And then the verse that nobody talks about, verse 17, John 3.16, but John 3.17, where God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to do what? Save it. I think a lot of times we think about that God is bringing condemnation to sinners God is bringing salvation to sinners, church. It's not our job to condemn people. It's our job to love people into the kingdom of God and let them know what it looks like to be genuinely loved and cared for. I mean, that's what happened to Jesus. When Jesus was talking to Pilate about truth, just that conversation, the humble conversation that Jesus had with Pilate, Pilate went back and was like, this guy's innocent. But he was caught up in the political game, and he went, he went, went with it anyways. He was warned by his wife and all that stuff, don't do it. He did it anyways. Compassion. Jesus had compassion. I mean, we look at all the healings. Just He would see somebody in need, and he would meet that need. The official son... You know, I always think about the person who, that was by the pool of Bethesda who had been sick for 38 years. And Jesus has a conversation. And what did Jesus ask? Do you want to get well? I mean, that might seem like a ridiculous question. I was going to say a dumb question, but I don't want to say that about God. 
But that might on the surface seem, Jesus, that's a ridiculous question. This guy's been laying here by the pool, trying to get into the pool to be healed for 38 years. I think what Jesus was asking there is sometimes we get comfortable in our disability. And I'm not just talking about our physical disabilities. I'm talking about even our emotional disabilities, our physical disabilities, our financial disabilities, all our disabilities. Sometimes we get comfortable in that place. It almost becomes our identity. And what Jesus is asking is, you want a new identity? You want to get better. You want to be well. And his response is, yes. And what does Jesus say? Just get up. Simple. He doesn't have a, hey, time out. We're going to have a prayer service here. We're going to have a healing time. You know, no. He just says simply, with people mulling around and there's who knows what's going on, and he just says, just get up. I believe that like right now in this moment, that some of us might be comfortable where we're at, and Jesus is saying, just get up. Have faith in me and just get up. Because he has compassion for us. The conversation that changed northern Israel, Jesus had with a woman at a well. That conversation changed the world, church. The fact that that is even in this book is incredible. Ladies, that is a huge story in the Bible because in that culture, you don't even talk about women in literature. And in the Word of God, women are all over it because you are made in His image, lady. He loves you with that everlasting love like he loves everybody else. Awesome. And Jesus has this conversation and brings forgiveness and healing to this woman. She is so excited. She goes home, and she brings everybody out with her. You got to check this guy out. You can see that I'm different and changed now, and revival happens in Samaria. Samaria! I mean... It would be like this right now. Jesus is talking, and Jesus is in Russia, and he's talking about, oh, yeah, I just had lunch with a Ukrainian. And they're like, not, you know, they're like, what? They're our enemy. Yeah. Or vice versa, right? The Samaritans were not in the eyes of the Israelites. They were hated. They were treated worse than like pets, yet still made in God's name. So who is our Samaritans today? I think the church sometimes has drawn some lines, and we've treated people like Samaritans. And Jesus says, have a conversation. Offer them life. Jesus asked her for a drink of water. He didn't offer her living water right out of the gate, right, right from the start, right? What did Jesus do? He asked her for a drink of water. Jesus is sharing and speaking, and it's mesmerizing. And then all of a sudden, you're looking like, oh, it's dinner time. And you're looking around, trying to find a place to eat. I've done that this last week. <laughs> Try to find a place to eat, and you end up eating a Marie Callender chicken pot pie for dinner, okay? 
Happened to me this week. It was a two-hour wait just to get a pizza at Pizza Hut in this little place, in this town I was in, we were in, and um, we had pie night, chicken pot pie, and pie for dessert. Anyways, it was pie night. Um, <laughs> Jesus has compassion on this crowd. It's dinner time, and there's thousands of them. The Bible counts them, and they just count them in. But where guys are, girls are. And then there's usually kids. So there's at least 10,000 people here, and Jesus feeds them because he has compassion. He didn't just, I don't believe he just didn't physically feed them, but he fed them spiritually. He met them exactly where they're at and gave them what they needed. Eternal moments. Turn to John chapter 1. We're going to go all the way back to the beginning. Eternal moments. Jesus is eternal. There are a lot of religions out there that just believe that Jesus was a good man and that Jesus was born just like everybody else was born and then God selected him to be his son. Nope. The Bible is very clear that Jesus has always been always been. In fact, that Jesus left eternity to come to the present and then went back to eternity. In the beginning was the Word, and I love how John starts this because he starts it off just like the the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, right? In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and what they're talking about is Jesus here. In the beginning was Jesus, and the Word Jesus was with God. And the word Jesus was God. He was with God in the beginning. And through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. And that light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. We should read that verse. That's like, put that on your daily calendar and read that verse. It just reminds us who our Jesus is. That he's eternal. He's always been. And then he's here. And then... Somebody prayed this morning that he, I, I don't know who it was, but it, that he's the light in the darkness. He's eternal. The transfiguration, if you look down at verse 14 in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John, James, and Peter were invited to go on a hike with Jesus. Any hikers in the house? We have a few hikers. I'm learning to hike a little bit. I got to get better shoes, but anyways. um, It's kind of fun. Went to uh, Grand Canyon this last week. West Rim, South Rim, went up to Zion National, saw that. Went to Bryce Canyon, saw that. A lot of rocks but really cool rocks, I have to say, really cool rocks, and really steep rocks. I mean, literally, the west rim of the Grand Canyon, no joke, there are no fences. You can literally walk right up like this and look down 3,000 feet. I was not with my toe hanging over, by the way. I was more like, yeah, looks good from here. (laughs) hanging onto somebody's jacket a little bit, like, please don't go over there. Um, I got about this close, and like, one look is enough. That's all I need. One look is enough. 
the transfiguration, I mean, these guys go on this hike and they don't know what they're doing. They're just walking with their friend and then all of a sudden, Jesus lights up. The Bible says that his face shined like the sun and that his clothes like glowed. And then these two figures show up, Moses and Elijah show up and Jesus is just having casual conversation, conversation with these guys. I can't even talk about it. And what are, what are the John, James, and Peter doing? They're down on the ground because they can't even handle the glory, right? And then afterwards, Peter's like, this is pretty cool. We should just stay up here. <laughs> can we just build three little houses and you guys can stay here and we'll just stay outside and watch this? This is good. But we're not called to live on the mountaintops. Most of, most of our lives are lived in the valley because that's where the nourishment is. That is a spiritual metaphor, church. There are times in our life that, yeah, we're going to get to go up on the mountain and we're going to get to kind of stand on the edge and like, yeah, that's good. I like it. It's an incredible view. I've got, you want to see pictures, I can have a special night and just show you my vacation slides. Remember that? <laughs> All two of you will show up and be... Heather and I just watching video <laughs> pictures. Anyways, the transfiguration, Jesus showed them his glory, showed them that he was eternal, that he is eternal. And Jesus makes that declaration that a lot of people don't even talk about because a lot of people, I mean, if you ask people about Jesus, a lot of people will just say, yeah, yeah, he was a good teacher. I heard he was a good man. But Jesus wasn't just a good teacher and a good man, but Jesus is the way. He's the truth and the life. A good man, you can't even say that about Jesus because that's, like, that's not even giving him the right honor. Jesus said that I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can have a relationship with the Father unless it's done through me. Now, unless Jesus was speaking the truth, and a lot of people, they, that's where they stop with Jesus, then Jesus wasn't a good man because, right? If you take that along down the, down the road, if you look at it, Jesus is saying there's one way to heaven is what he's saying there. It's all tenderness, zealousness, compassion, right, and eternal. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. And what Jesus is saying there is that I'm the eternal one. You want to have a relationship with your, the Father in heaven, it has to be through me. And maybe some of you have made that decision. In fact, most of you probably have. That's why you're in church. But maybe some of you watching from home or in the house, you haven't made that decision to follow Jesus yet. My encouragement to you is to follow him. Follow him. The whole book of John, he wrote the whole book simply that we would believe in Jesus. He actually says it. I wrote this book so you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And so I encourage you to believe. But for some of us, like, okay, now that I believe, now what do I do? I'm called to follow Jesus. 
how do I do that? How do I follow Jesus? Some of you have been around for a while. You kind of figured it out a little bit. But some of us who are, well, some of us. <laughs> I like to include myself in the young people. Um, <laughs> I'm getting nods, no, and I'm getting a lot of laughs for those of you at home. Anyways. Yes, I'm young in spirit. Thank you, Michael. Okay, You're not my, my new best friend. My second best friend, actually. What do we do? How do we follow Jesus? So starting next week, we're going to do a new series. It's a seven-week series. It's going to take us right into Easter. Pretty basic. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, first of all, to follow Jesus, you have homework. Oh, you come to church and get homework. Yes. Love it. But you're going to have to read. If you want to follow along, read. So what I, how I normally like to do this is like I give you the book, you read the chapter, I'll speak on it. We're going to do it that way, but you have to read a little bit more. Because the first, it's not even the chapter, the first start of this book is called New Life. And in order to follow Jesus, you have to know Jesus. You need to know him. And the whole first pages one through five is just an introduction to who Jesus is. And if you've never followed him, it's an invitation to follow him. And for some of us that have been walking with Jesus for a long time, I believe it's an invitation. The first five pages is an invitation to like renew our walk with him. Some of you won't be very impressed with this book because it's so basic. Just a black and white book, super thin. <laughs> um, but it's super basic. But I think what happens is we, as humans, complicate God. We overthink him. And we make it really difficult for people to follow him. Hey, you want to follow Jesus? Let me give you this big book. Study it for 10 years, and then maybe you'll figure it out. It's just, so how do you pray? Why do you start off, when I show up at church, why do we like sing for and do karaoke for like a half an hour? <laughs> I've had people ask me that. In fact, they came like three weeks in a row, and then one Sunday we did something a little bit different. We were going to do worship at the end, and the guy leaned over and said, hey, why aren't we doing karaoke? He didn't know Jesus yet. He didn't know what worship was. He didn't know that when we sing, and I don't get it, right? But the Bible says that when we sing, heaven moves. Because God made it that way. God created it that way. What is church? Woo! Dana will be speaking on that tough topic. He actually will be. When you're... When you get saved and you're excited about this new life with Jesus, do you just hide it? No, you want to just tell everybody, I got, man, I got good news. Jason's going to tell us about the good news. How do you share your faith without, like, smacking people around with the Bible, right? I, yeah, some, some, yeah. Someone just said, sometimes they need it, yeah. Sometimes I need it. I'll just say that. But that's what we're going to do for the next seven weeks. Because the book of John is setting us up to follow Jesus. 
How do we follow him? So stand with me as we, as we close. And we have books for you when you are um, exiting. I don't know how our ushers, our hosts want to do that if they stand by the doors and just hand you a book. We're going to read pages one through five, and then you read the first chapter, pages six through 13. So yes, I'm reading to do this morning, or this week, I should say. Hey, as we wrap up this morning, you know, Jesus, the tender, zealous, compassionate, eternal one, invites us to come to him, invites us to have a relationship with him, invites us to share with him what we need. And so what I want to do this morning is I just, just for, I know we're running, Sunday school teachers are very patient with me, and I appreciate it. But this morning, man, Jesus is tender towards you. He is zealous for you. He is compassionate towards you. He is the eternal one. And he invites you to walk in eternity with him. He invites you to come and share with what is on your heart. We sang it this morning. I called and you answered and you came to my rescue. And if you need rescue this morning, would you just ask him? for that rescue? There's really only two choices that we have when we hear a message about Jesus, when we're encouraged to follow him, and it's, it's either forget him or it's follow him. And my prayer for you, and you can ask, my prayer for you is that you would follow him. That each one of you in this room, each one of you watching from home, whenever or wherever, that you would follow him. And that you'd make him everything. Because he is tender, zealous, compassionate for you. And he is the one who offers eternity to you. So Jesus, as we close this Sunday up, God, we are thankful for your presence. We are thankful that you love us. And that you did not come into the world to condemn us, but you came in the world to save us, to rescue us. And I pray for my friends here this morning who are in places that need rescue. Jesus, I know you see. I know you see. So I pray that you'd meet every need, God. Be with us this week as we read this simple book that ties right into your word. It teaches us what new life looks like, teaches us what prayer looks like, teaches us to raise our hands and to worship you unabandoned. And so, Lord, we give you praise and we thank you for our family. Lord, right now we just take a moment and we thank you for our family. We thank you for the friends that you've surrounded us with. Lord, we pray for the lonely right now. God, if any in the house, any watching from home, that Jesus, right now there would be like a supernatural move of your Holy Spirit that you would come alongside. 
and let them know that they are not alone. And Lord, I pray that you would then bring people, people who love you, who, who are following you to come alongside and to walk with and to encourage. Thank you for your presence again, God. You are good. Thank you that your love does endure forever. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, church, we'll see you next week. Do your homework.